Myth vs. Medicine, Debunking Grey's Anatomy is an educational and entertainment podcast created and produced by Anna Zarov and Olivia Horrigan. If you would like to know more about our show, check out our website at mythvsmedpod.com and join our email list. If you enjoy our show, be sure to leave a review on your favorite podcast streaming platform. Now let's get on to the episode. Interested in learning more about organ donation? Find out on this week's episode of Myth vs. Medicine, Debunking Grey's Anatomy. I'm Anna. And I'm Olivia. And we're medical students at the University of Michigan. Join us as we unpack the next episode of one of our favorite medical dramas, Grey's Anatomy. It's a beautiful day to learn what is myth and what is medicine. Disclaimer. Our thoughts and opinions may not reflect those of the University of Michigan hospital system or the University of Michigan Medical School and are not intended to be used in place of medical advice. We are currently in training and are not qualified to provide medical advice. Please consult your doctor for medical management or further questions. Okay. Welcome back to Myth vs. Medicine. Hello, guys. All right. So just like every other episode, we're going to start with a summary of what happened. This episode starts with Bailey realizing that it is the day of the dead baby race, a downhill bike race sponsored by a bar in which there are no rules. The hospital staff prepare for the incoming traumas. Among these patients are a John Doe that Christina and Izzy are taking care of and a man named Viper, who is very into Meredith. Christina and Izzy fight to keep their patient alive with the hope that he can be an organ donor. Meanwhile, George takes care of Mackie, a VIP patient who needs a liver transplant at the request of Dr. Weber. Overall, we see not only patients making poor decisions, but also almost to every doctor on the show, including Alex, Christina, Izzy, Meredith, Derek, and Bailey, all acting out. I could not believe the amount of things that went down in this episode that I just was like, how is this allowed? I mean, it's not allowed, but so unhinged. Every character in this show off their rocker. I was not expecting it, but let me tell you, it made for an entertaining episode. Without further ado, shall we get into our quick catches? Oh, absolutely. Okay, well, I had a good one to start with because it was right at the beginning of the episode. As they are all preparing for said dead baby race, they are walking through the hallway and saying, Bailey's telling them we got to prepare for the traumas. And all of them are putting on these paper gowns. Mm -hmm. And you see these paper gowns a lot in the hospital. They're used for contact precautions, which basically just means if somebody is very sick or has certain infectious diseases, you might need an extra protective gear to make sure that you are protected against whatever they are sick with and that you're not going to spread it to other patients. Exactly. And it seems like it would make sense that they would put on these gowns to go see patients in the ED, perhaps, but they were putting them on in the hallway before they even arrived at the ED. But the thing is, when you put on these gowns, you want to put it on and then go into the patient room and then you take it off before you even leave the patient room because exactly. the whole point of it is that you're not spreading germs. Yes. So putting them on before you even get to the ED seems fairly pointless. Fairly pointless. The only thing that I could think of, and from a trauma standpoint, I have not worked in the emergency room. And so I'm wondering if they do it just to keep blood off themselves or something. But again, I don't understand why they would be doing this in the hallway before they even get to see any patients (laughs) right it's so confusing well because if they did get blood on them they would have to change the gown anyway so it's kind of the same standard where you put it on it's basically a disposable gown for something messy or germy exactly exactly gosh and this this brings up a couple of my favorite quotes from bailey again i think that bailey is one of the most unhinged characters in this episode oh my gosh what was going on with her and i think it was derek that or no it was it was george or alex they said is, is bailey off her meds like after she said yeah. 
<laughs> she literally starts off with saying about the dead baby bike race the fools on bikes killing themselves natural selection is what it is fools on bikes killing themselves natural selection is what it is <laughs> i mean maybe she's right yeah but <laughs> the fact that she said it just cracked me up I know. Oh, my gosh. And then the second one that she said when she was talking up to the surgical interns. Oh, my gosh. I think I have this one written down, too. I know what you're going to say. Oh, my gosh. Don't mingle with the ER interns. They don't know their ass from their esophagus. <laughs> Actually, insane. And we talked in the last episode a lot about kind of tensions between specialties. Yeah. But I feel like it's still rare that you hear people out loud being like, we're so much better than them. Yeah, outright. Well, and OK, we talked about this. We talked us about this in the last episode too. Why were the surgical interns going to the ED to do all the suturing? That's really the ED doctor's jobs. Exactly. And apparently there are in fact ED doctors because Bailey says not to mingle with them. But apparently she doesn't like them. I mean, maybe this is why the surgeons are going to do all the busy work. I just think it's crazy. It's just so judgmental. Even though they all went through medical school and are literally at the same hospital. Yes, they're in different programs. But the fact that they went through medical school and then are in residency now, I don't know why they should be held in higher esteem just because they're in the surgery program. I think that it's very stereotypical, of course. Not all surgeons are like this, but I do think there is, we talked about this last episode too, the God complex of surgeons. Mm -hmm. They just assume that they are better than everyone. Oh, as always. Anyways, that was a good quick catch though, honestly. I didn't really think anything of it because I was so focused on Bailey's quote. She was going off. One of my favorite quick catches from this episode, after watching this show for years, I mean, I have watched this show so often. And I just now realized that they have a co-ed locker room. I don't know how I didn't realize this. Okay, it's so funny you say that because I also noticed that in this episode. Also, after watching this show for many years, and I didn't even notice it until the very end of the episode. Was it Was it when Meredith and Karev got into it? Yes! Oh my I God. was like, wait a minute. Isn't this the locker room? Aren't they supposed to be changing? Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. And then Meredith's just completely fighting Karev with her little ineffectual Hilarious. Bit tiny ineffectual fist I, Derek's quote Derek in this episode killed me I have a quote from Derek from that scene also which was I think it's after Karev leaves and he goes how would you feel if I died and you didn't get to go out with me <laughs> and I was like funny manipulative but also like he's joking but like he's so funny though why is it that everything Derek says I'm like oh he has the best intentions. <laughs> it's just so hard not to swoon. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. Well, along with that, this is kind of getting off on a tangent with Derek because obviously we love Derek. But when you when Meredith's like, is it just the thrill? Like, is it the thrill of the chase? Is that why you keep pursuing me? And he talks to her all throughout the episode, is trying to get you know into conversations with her. And then at the end, he's like, it's not about the chase. It's not about the thrill. And I was like, ah, Derek. I have in fact that pointed out and I it's I put it in my quote section but I didn't highlight any quote because it was just all of the words that Derek said and yes. I just said in all caps <laughs> Derek at the end I'm melting it's not the chase what you and me it is not the thrill of the chase it's not a game it's it's your tiny ineffectual fists and your hair My hair. It smells good. And you're very, very bossy. Keeps me in line. Oh my gosh. Oh, we he's so Derek. smooth. If you he's so smooth. 
Okay, well, shall we continue our quick catches? I think we should. What's your next one? My next one was... So we'll talk about this more, but we are introduced to a patient who is brain dead or predicted to be brain dead. And there's a scene where Izzy is in his room and he starts coding. And really, in this case, I couldn't even tell you what coding means. And this is my quick catch. But basically, his cardiac monitor starts beeping, meaning something is wrong with his heart and he's going into cardiac arrest. His heart stopped beating. Something's wrong. No bueno. And then they, they pan up to show the monitor and his tracings are totally normal. Like, so alert, yeah, I, I actually paused it to look. And so you can see on the screen, you can see the EKG, which is how they monitor the heart rate. And then you can see the blood pressure and the pulmonary arterial pressure, which is like the pressure in the lungs. And the lines on the screen are all normal. And They're then normal. suddenly they just drop, they all drop to zero. Oh they my just, gosh. With, without any inciting events, they just go from totally normal to just, they drop down to zero. The lines all flatline. I think the inciting event was the beeping. That was mm-hmm. the inciting event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The monitor decided to beep and that means that he must be dying. Exactly, exactly. who needs real medicine? That was a good catch though, because I didn't notice that. I feel like whenever they show x-rays or screens or any kind of thing where you would be like looking at what is happening medically mm-hmm. I've been trying to pause it to be like does this, this look correct does this look real <laughs> and the EKG line it did look like an accurate EKG all the lines were the correct formations but in this case that was actually correct. the problem that they in fact looked completely fine love it love it And speaking of the brain dead guy and the interactions that they had, Christina and Izzy were in charge of helping him. And Mm -hmm. I noticed that at the end of their conversation, Christina goes to put on her stethoscope. And with stethoscope earpieces, you need to be pointing them towards your nose, basically. They shouldn't be pointing backwards. And Mm -hmm. this is something that a lot of people in our lives have actually talk to us about because they're like the yeah. first thing I notice on Grey's Anatomy is when they don't put their earpieces in correctly crazy. and then she did it that's <laughs> so funny wait I am gonna have to go back and watch that now because for all of you listeners out there Olivia and I actually met pretty early in med school because we're in the same doctoring group which is basically a class where you learn how to do your physical exams and I remember on the first day they told us everybody get your stethoscopes like this is the right way how to put them on and and I think that one of our faculty members mentioned if you watch any kind of medical drama you'll see they don't do it no, right and no. now you know this is the right way to do it he's like don't follow what they do on tv we're showing you the correct way right yeah. now. Oh, oh, that's, that's hilarious oh my gosh I am gonna have to go back and watch that I can't believe I missed it also something that we learned in our doctor in class this is another quick catch that I had we talk a lot about patient-centered care and patient education and talking to your patients about what you're doing when you do an exam so that they are on the same page in receiving their care. And George, while he's taking care of a patient in this episode, the patient asks him, what are you examining me for? And he goes, you know, just routine medical stuff. (laughs) I'm like, first of all, does George even know why he's examining him? Questionable. Or maybe he does, and he's just choosing not to disclose it with the patient, which I wrote, not very patient-centered care, George. Not very patient-centered care. (laughs) But that is something that they kind of drill into us first and second year, is Mm -hmm. just making sure that you're being so upfront with your patients about what you're doing, why you're doing it. And I don't think if you look in the dictionary of medical knowledge or medical words, that general medical stuff would be in there. Yeah, routine medical stuff. (laughs) 
never seen that one before. Oh my gosh, so funny. What is your next quick catch? All right, so my next quick catch actually has to do with the surgeries that were occurring in this episode. So after George was done in the ED, actually before he even started, Bailey said, all right, you're not staying here. You're going up to Dr. Weber. He needs a firsthand in surgery. So firsthand basically means that you're going to be like first assistant in surgery. You're Mm going to be the person helping the attending in the operating room. Mm -hmm. And George is so excited. He goes up there. He's like, I'm ready to scrub in Dr. Weber. I'm here for you. He's so excited. (laughs) And then Weber's like, no, 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 no. Um, you're actually going to go take care of a VIP patient, but that's not my quick yeah. catch. My quick catch was the fact that Dr. Weber was sitting there scrubbing in, and scrubbing in basically means that you have this special sponge and soap that you use with water to clean off your skin before you actually go into the operating room. And normally it gets really sudsy, and you have all these bubbles, and so Weber's scrubbing in, and all you see is like this faint color, but you don't see any suds or bubbles or anything that resembles any kind of soap, and so it just kind of cracked me up. I'm so glad that you pointed that out because they say at least once, if not many times an episode, you hear them use that terminology. Somebody says to somebody, go scrub in, go scrub Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And I grew up watching Grey's Anatomy and I always heard that. And I was like, yeah, of course you scrub in for surgery. And when I got to med school, I had no idea what scrubbing in actually meant. I just knew that it was what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's a term. (laughs) Yeah, but it is. It is a whole, it's a pretty elaborate process Mm -hmm. of just, it is the most thorough hand washing that you will ever do. Hand washing, arm washing, fingernail scraping. Oh, yeah. You name it. You do it all to make sure you are as clean as possible before you go into the operating room, which makes sense. Yeah. And I'm going to have to watch in future episodes for this because I remember that there are scenes where people are talking while they scrub in. And I wonder how well they actually do scrub in now that... Mm. I know how to scrub in. Uh, we'll have to, we'll, exactly. well, this will be a re- reoccurring thing. Ooh, should we have a sound for it? Can we have a scrubbing in sound? We need a scrubbing in sound, yes. Oh, can it be? <laughs> the first thing that popped in my head was a rubber ducky sound, but I don't think that would actually work. I feel like Wait, no, I like it. A little scrubbing or, or, or bubbles. But yeah, it's so crazy because before we went into our surgery rotation during our second year, so our clinical year of medical school, mm. We actually had a whole day or a whole couple hours dedicated to learning how to scrub in correctly. Yeah, it took a while. Like you're lathering your hands up with soap and then you're like, all right, two seconds, I'm done. No, you have to sit there and you scrub and you scrub in particular motions and you can't touch anything and you have to rinse with water and you have to do this. And you, you have, have to, to let that. the water drip off your hands in a certain direction. Yeah, yeah it it's is all very elaborate. You would have, I would have had no idea. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, but yes, that's a good point. We need to get our little scrubbing in sound. For now on, anytime somebody scrubs in, we're going to call them out. Exactly. We can also do like a scrubbing in count. So during during the episode, just how many people scrubbed in and if they did it correctly. The ratio of correct to incorrect scrubbing out. Oh my gosh, we should make a contest. We should have a tally going of what doctors do a good job scrubbing in. (laughs) Who who will win the competition? I would, I'm very curious to find out. Stay tuned, guys. If I had to take a guess, I think it would be us. I think we would win the competition. Oh, well, we would absolutely win the competition, (laughs) but don't tell Meredith and Derek that. So another quick catch that I had in terms of the surgeries in this episode is that you do not see anyone wearing glasses or goggles or any type of eye protection in the surgery. And so this is super important. 
in terms of protecting yourself from the surgical space. So if you have a patient that you're operating on and suddenly blood spurts out or bodily fluids get on you, I mean, obviously you don't want those things going in your eyes. And so eye protection is super duper important. And every time you go into the operating room, you have eye protection on and no one had eye protection and I thought this was even more funny because Burke is literally doing a triple A repair, which is an abdominal aortic aneurysm repair. And your aorta is a huge, huge, huge blood vessel in your body. And very high pressure. Very high pressure. And so if he had Nick's blood is going to squirt. I mean, that would be the worst surgery not to wear, not to wear. Honestly. Oh, I actually have a story about this. So this happened not on surgery actually so I don't totally blame this nurse for not wearing eye protection I probably wouldn't have either but I had a patient who was in the hospital and actually was getting ready for discharge and a nurse came to take some final labs and or I guess it was probably the phlebotomist was mm-hmm. coming to take the final labs phlebotomist basically just means the person that draws blood in the hospital because <laughs> there's yes, lots thank of you for clarifying that that. <laughs> there are and I think there are different there's a lot of roles that can draw blood but Routine labs generally tend to be a phlebotomist, um, and their main job is drawing blood. Mm-hmm. But this phlebotomist came in and tried to take blood from this guy who did tend to be a more difficult poke, which just means it's hard to get it into the right vein, and got, in fact, squirt in the eye with his oh. blood. Oh. And we actually had to delay discharge because when that happens, then you have to order a bunch of tests. We had to get HIV tests and hepatitis tests and all these tests for communicable illnesses that might be spread via blood products because if this man had had HIV and then that blood got into this phlebotomist's eye she could get it so it ended up being okay but we did have to delay his discharge to find out what was happening sorry we got your blood in our eye and now we have to keep you in the hospital to do more tests I remember I learned this when I was going to see my patient in the morning and when I said that on rounds my attending was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I was presenting this patient and the attending was expecting that I was going to say all good for discharge. And I said, medically cleared for discharge, but we he needs to stay for a little while to get these additional tests because the phlebotomist got blood in her eye. Thank and he was you. like, you're joking. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. Oh, well, those are my quick catches. Did you have any more for this episode? I have one more that I thought was funny, which was... When Christina is talking to this family about organ donation, they're sitting in a little conference room, which at least is a upgrade from our previous waiting room serious discussions. So she's sitting in a conference room, which is appropriate. And behind her, there's a whiteboard. And on this whiteboard, it said, bipolar disorder in adults. And then there was a checklist. And the checkboxes were phenomenology, impulsivity, aggression, treatments, long-term care, and managing. And I just was like, what is this What is this board behind her? At first you think, oh, maybe it's a list of symptoms. And then it goes, oh, no. Oh, no, it's a treatment. Oh, no. Maybe it's just a general overview. I was so confused. The only thing that I can come up with was that somebody had been in that room before her giving a lecture on bipolar disorder, I guess. And that is something that you see. I definitely have walked into conference rooms before where there's a bunch of medical stuff written on a whiteboard that seems unrelated. And it probably was because a resident decided to give some med students a little teaching moment, Mm -hmm. which is something that happens, I think, pretty frequently throughout the day when we're working. If there's some downtime, a resident might be 
saying, oh, let me teach you about blah, 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 and write it up on the whiteboard. Definitely. But also it was just weird for the context of this was a TV show. They had to set up this room as <laughs> a set, and they chose to just write about bipolar all yeah, over the wall. Yeah. I don't it's, know. Yeah, it was on their mind, maybe. I don't know. I mean, maybe they were trying to make it really realistic. Somebody was teaching a lecture, but (laughs) seems like a kind of odd lecture, too, with the things they were talking about, but whatever. Very true. Very true. Mm -hmm. Well, those were some good quick catches. I liked all those. I know. We had good ones this episode. Okay, so shall we then move into our first topic? I think so. This one's super fascinating. I'm really excited to hear you talk about it. Okay, so to start off with our first topic, we're going to be talking about brain death, which is kind of a big central theme of this episode. Mm -hmm. So as Olivia noted in our episode summary, we have this patient who comes in. He's a John Doe, which means he has not been identified. We don't know where his family is. We don't know who he is. And pretty immediately when we were introduced to him, we learned that he is predicted to be brain dead. And we start off by hearing some vitals in labs, similar to how many patients are introduced. So I'm going to run through those really quickly. You guys are going to be experts at understanding this now after our last episode in trauma. Oh, yeah. So Christina and Izzy are presenting this patient. One of them says, GCS of three, pupils fixed and dilated, atropine given for pulse in the 40s, BP 183 over 22, pulse ox 98. Chest showed widened mediastinum and head CT revealed cerebral edema. He's gotten 70 of mannitol, dexamethasone 10, and a gram of phenytoin. So we will kind of talk about what all those things mean throughout the episode. But to start, I'll remind you, GCS3 means Glasgow Coma Scale 3. That is the lowest score that you can get. Mm -hmm. It means that he is not doing well, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, Burke says, let's prepare to diagnose him with brain death. Olivia, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about what it means to be brain dead? Yeah, I think from the simplest point of view, brain death basically means when, for any reason, someone no longer has any brain function or activity and they require some kind of artificial life support in order to live. So that could be ventilation for their lungs. It could be something pumping for their heart, things like that. So it basically means they can't support their own life on their own anymore. Yeah, that's a good explanation. And as we see, this man is hooked up to a ventilator. He has machines that are making him breathe and pumping his heart. So generally a standard that I've heard in terms of starting a brain death evaluation is you are hooked up to these machines, you're not responsive for 24 hours, doesn't seem like anything is going to change, and that's kind of a place to start the evaluation. I thought this was interesting in this episode because this man had just come into the hospital and they know that he's had a lot of traumatic injuries and that he's not responsive, But they really don't waste any time before they say we're starting a brain death evaluation. Yeah. And I was pretty surprised that they weren't at least going to wait a little bit and try to find his family before they started trying to declare him brain dead. Yeah. And and I don't have particular experience with it. But you'd think that in that circumstance, not knowing who he was, what his medical wishes were that they would just immediately say, okay, we'll just watch and wait rather than actually take action and try to do something about it. So I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. Well, and Burke says, we will reevaluate in six hours. And then if nothing changes, call it. Mm -hmm. And I just think that it's strange that they weren't going to try to find his family before they just take him off support. Yeah. So Anna, could you tell us a little bit kind of how they diagnose brain death? 
Yes. So the first thing that you're going to do in looking at all of these reflexes is you're going to look at their pupils. You shine a light in the pupils and see if they react. And as I noted, Christina had already said this man has fixed and dilated pupils, meaning that they are not reacting to light. Then you can also look at the corneal reflex. The cornea is a part of your eye and the cornea, if it is coming into contact with any kind of foreign object, is going to make you blink. So if you think about this, a natural response of any person, if something gets too close to their eye as they blink. So basically to do this, and you see one of the doctors doing this in the mm-hmm. show, I'm forgetting who. Um, is you take Was it Christina? So. You basically, she takes a cotton swab and you touch it to the cornea to see if the patient is going to blink. And if they don't blink, that reflex is not working. Another reflex that you test has a long, complicated name, but I'll explain it. It's the vestibulo-ocular reflex. And basically what happens with this is you take some cold saline and you pour it into the patient's ear, which sounds weird. But the way that this reflex works is that when it touches the tympanic membrane, which is part of the inside of your ear, it causes your eyes to move in the opposite direction of that ear if the brain is working properly. So that's another one you can do. You can also test the gag reflex stick someone down their throat and see if they gag sounds morbid yes i know i know well and it is it is sad to see these things because mm-hmm. this is a patient who isn't responding to these things which mm-hmm. i think is kind of eerie yeah and i think brain death is really tricky because a lot of family members when they do see their their family member in this kind of state are really confused because their heart's still beating on their own but then no really other bodily functions are working so their their motor skills aren't working their brain activity's not there and i was gonna say so there are certain reflexes that do still work when somebody's brain dead for example when a doctor tests your reflexes at your primary care appointment you might have seen this before where they'll tap your knee with a hammer and that reflex where your leg kicks out is actually caused by the muscle connecting to the spinal cord and it never actually goes to the brain. And so as a result, somebody can be brain dead and still have all of those reflexes intact, which yeah. is really disorienting to see if you are a family member and you're saying, my my family member is still moving. They still have these reflexes. How can they be exactly. dead? And I think from someone who's not in medicine, I mean, I know I would be super jarred and taken aback if I saw that and they were saying, oh, your family member is brain dead. They're not coming back. I actually, I had an interesting start to my clinical rotations in med school because my first week on clinical rotations, I was in the neuro ICU. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. And there was a day, I think it was my second or third day of the whole clinical year that we were basically just taking consults throughout the hospital to declare brain death Mm -hmm. and it was just so sad because it is true you see these families who just don't make a lot of sense of it I mean I I just remember you coming home from the neuro ICU both after that day of of pronouncing people brain dead and then just the overall week at neuro ICU and I could just see brutal like how much it had taken a toll and I feel like it's super important to touch on the fact that doctors are not immune to the hardships and the emotional trauma and damage that it causes families to be going through stuff like this and and we see this a lot in izzy in this episode she's having a really hard time 
even getting even behind say, the fact that they're yeah. doing this brain death testing. Yeah. She's like, I don't, I don't understand why we have to do this. Like, we can still work on saving him. Yeah. So you do these tests and generally you do them once and then you do them again. In this case, they said six hours later. And from the research that I did, generally you choose either six hours or 24 hours apart. And that might depend on the hospital's regulations and the point in time. Also notably, the second time that they're tested has to be done by either a neurologist or a neurosurgeon. So I guess this is where we would bring Derek in although it kind of seemed that they were gonna bring Burke in which would have been wrong Derek's too busy flirting with Meredith let's be honest (laughs) and and Burke tends to do surgeries that are just not his surgeries so maybe he's a neurologist deep down also (laughs) so kind of as I mentioned I generally have seen this 24 hours apart but I also couldn't find any like clear thing that said that that was the rule in 2005. Yeah. So it may be possible that they were still doing this by standard. But the fact that they started the eval as early as they did was questionable to me. Exactly. So they, they had also mentioned another test that they did kind of assessing his brain activity. Did you want to talk about that one a little bit? Yeah. So they do a couple other tests. The first is an apnea test. And apnea means you're not breathing. And so they basically take the patient off of the ventilator and see if they have any spontaneous attempts at breathing on their own. The other one they would do is an EEG. We actually talked about EEGs in our first episode when we were talking about seizures. So EEGs measure brain waves. And if you're brain dead, you should have none of these. Yeah. It would just be like basically flat lines on the EEG. And then finally, the test that you do, it's called a nuclear medicine perfusion test. So fancy. What does that mean? I know. Basically, you inject a radioactive tracer that you can use to highlight brain activity on the image. And if there is any activity at all left in the brain, you'll see it light up on the imaging. Mm. And if this person is truly brain dead, you'll just see nothing in the imaging. I mean, and it's a good like representation of what is actually happening in the brain because as hard as it is to think about, these patients really are brain dead and there's no activity. Like they're not there anymore. And I think because Izzy was talking to the patient and Christina's like, mm-hmm. he's not up there anymore. Like he's not here anymore. Why are you talking yeah. to him type of thing? And yeah. so it's really tough. It is hard. I feel like we should talk about the ethics. Yeah, that's what I really wanted to talk about because I think that it was really interesting for me to watch Christina and Izzy's interactions with this too because I feel like I have previously in watching this show sympathized with Izzy a lot in terms of she really wants to focus on the patients and Mm -hmm. their well-being and keeping people alive and sometimes Christina seems kind of jaded Mm -hmm. in her comments like Olivia said and being like there's nobody up there and to be honest in this episode both of them were very dramatic in the ways that they thought but I actually sympathize with Christina a lot more than I previously did there Mm. were a lot of times where Izzy kind of started to frustrate me because I felt like okay yes it is very sad when patients die Mm -hmm. but also you're gonna be a surgeon and theoretically Izzy has just spent four years in med school and she's seen things like this and she knows what it means medically for somebody to be brain dead Mm -hmm. and she's being so whiny about this in saying, but we should really try. We have to try to resuscitate him. We have to try to do all these things. I really felt like Izzy should have known better. It was it was so interesting to see the dynamic between Christina and Izzy because I feel like they were on two completely different sides of the spectrum. Right, and totally. Christina was much more focused on the medical side of things. She's like, he's, he's brain dead and we need to talk to the family in order to get organ donation. And Izzy says, 
we don't want organ donation because he's still alive and we can still help him type of thing. And so right. I think it was really interesting to see those dynamics between them. No, it is. I mean, this does come down to opinion too. And of course, you want to humanize your patients as much as possible. Yeah. But I also like do think that at a certain point, it is the role of the doctor to be realistic about it and yeah. say this is what's going on and this is what we're going to need to tell the family. And Izzy was taking too long to get there. Yes. Be realistic and not say, ah, he's dropping. Let's do a blood transfusion. And That was crazy. Yes, because <laughs> he's still that there. Was we're going to do everything we can. That was, oh my gosh, I could not believe it. When Izzy, well, first Izzy proposed the idea and Meredith said, oh, screw it. Okay, we'll do it. <laughs> I was like, Meredith, you're enabling I was actually really surprised that Meredith enabled her, but I, I do get it. It's like, I don't know. It's interesting because it's these doctors who are supposedly just starting out. They're brand new doctors. And so their minds really are on the fact that they, they want to save lives. They want to save yeah. people. They want to do everything that they can. But I keep on bouncing back to the fact that... It seems like the writers of this show forget that all of these doctors, in order to be doctors, had to go through years of medical school where they were learning what this stuff meant. And the proper way to do things. Right. Like, it just seems crazy unrealistic to me that all of these interns would think it's a good idea to resuscitate this brain-dead person. Yeah. I mean, I think this circles back to the unhinged part of the episode that we were talking about in the beginning. I mean... Like, absolutely no boundaries. They went over no Bailey's boundaries. head. They went over Burke's head. All to go to the chief and say, we want to do this so that we can do organ donation. And, yeah. Oh, my God. Just- and I wrote down this quote from when Meredith and Christina are now deciding that they want to get somebody to repair this guy's heart. Burke. And, yes, Burke. And first... Izzy is like, oh, like, we need to go tell Bailey. And Meredith goes, we need to go higher than Bailey. <laughs> and then they go to Burke. And, of course, Burke is like, what the F? And where was Burke when they told him this information? I don't know. Oh, he was in the bathroom. I forgot he was in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part of this episode, I think. Because he's just so taken aback. And they just keep going. But then Burke goes, Burke goes, you gave a brain-dead John Doe a blood transfusion, and now you want me to repair his heart. And I literally wrote down, these interns have no boundaries. No boundaries. Oh my gosh. I think all the ethical dilemmas in this scene, just alone, I think were enough to cover the entire episode, but we have even more to talk about. Oh yeah. And okay, so here's something actually I think that I've gone back and forth on, which is whether or not it would make sense to keep a patient in this state alive for mm-hmm. the sake of organ donation. And mm-hmm. Olivia in our second half is going to talk more about organ donation. But I guess I just wonder in terms of the ethics of deciding about organ donation and also deciding where you're distributing resources, especially on a day like this where there's lots of traumas, are you going to have a surgeon operate on somebody with the hope that they will be an organ donor or are you going to let them go? Yeah, exactly. So I think that's a good place to leave it, honestly. Like we said, this is a really big topic. And if you guys yeah. have any more questions, please feel free to kind of go on our website and ask any questions that you want to regarding Definitely. this crazy episode. Um, but I think we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we'll be talking a little bit more about organ donation. And then we'll also have our mid-episode fun fact for you. Oh, yes. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Enjoying the podcast? We want to hear from you. Visit our website at mythvsmedpod.com to ask us questions about anything medicine in Grey's Anatomy.
You can also follow our socials, stay up to date on the latest Myth vs. Med events, and join our email list from our website or Linktree at linktr.ee slash mythvsmedpod. You can also help support this podcast along with medical and scientific research by making a donation. Back to the show. All right, we're back. All right. So, Anna, do you want to give the fun fact for this episode? Sure. So, something that I thought was awesome in this episode was that it actually is the first episode that we see that features an LGBTQ plus character. And as a reminder, this episode aired in 2005. This wasn't something that you always saw on TV. So, I think that I appreciated seeing that i mean there's lots of talk about what we think that george's sexuality is in this episode but the introduction of mackie as an openly gay man i thought was a cool part of this episode yeah definitely something i feel like we didn't see all the time in early 2000s tv so i thought it was super interesting yeah all right well speaking of which we get mackie introduced who's this great character and who is in need of a liver transplant so olivia's gonna tell us a little bit more about organ donation yes ma'am all right so to cover organ donation again this is a really big topic so i'm just really gonna go over surface level details with you guys so you get a really broad overview and so that you can understand kind of how tricky the situation is and especially how tricky this situation would have been in this episode so we start with the organ donation discussion because of the brain dead patient that comes in after this bike trauma and they're talking about wanting to do organ donation with him. And so organ donation and transplantation allows a deceased or a living donor to give life to another person. And so these Mm -hmm. surgeons will remove a healthy organ from a donor who doesn't need it, either because they have passed away or because they are a living donor and they can give away one of their organs freely, like a kidney, because they only need one kidney, for example. And they basically transfer it to someone else who does. And organ donors are usually recently deceased people, again, who either volunteered before their death to donate their organs or their family donated them on their behalf, which is kind of what we see in this episode. And so Mm -hmm. organ recipients, so the people who get the organs, are usually people who are critically ill and the end stages of organ failure. So this can be from kidney disease. It can be from liver cancer, which is what we find out that Mackie has in this episode. Mm -hmm. And so these are just some examples of organs that might need transplantation. And so when I was looking up the stats on this, Anna, if you had to guess, how many people do you think are in need of an organ transplantation or how many people do you think are on the organ transplantation waiting list? Oh, gosh. For any organ? Mm-hmm. As of now. I mean, right now. Yeah. Okay. Definitely, like, at least tens of thousands. Mm-hmm. That's a good guess. So this number was staggering to me. I didn't realize it was this high. So there are 103,327 men, women, and children on the National Transplant waiting list. That is wild. Another crazy fact is that a new person is being added to the list every 10 minutes. And each day, 17 people die waiting for a transplant. So That's it is, yeah, it's just crazy to think about the sheer volume of people that are in need of organs. And what do you think the most common organ needed for transplantation is? It's got to be kidneys, right? Yeah, definitely kidneys. And over 88,000 people are waiting a kidney transplant, wow. which is just insane to think about. It's hard because you just don't get nearly as many people who are able to donate organs as you are people who need them. Exactly, exactly. And so that actually 
leads into a good point. In 1984, to address the nation's basically critical organ donation shortage and improve Mm -hmm. the organ matching and placement process, the U.S. Congress actually passed the National Organ Transplant Act, and that was again in 1984, and it basically established the Organ Procurement and Transplantation Network, or the OPTN, to maintain a Mm -hmm. national registry for organ matching. And so that's what we use to this day for all the organ matching that we do for transplantation. And so you guys might have heard of UNOS, and so UNOS is actually a subdivision of OPTN, and it's a nonprofit charitable organization that works with OPTN for organ donation and transplantation. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I was going to ask that because I feel like in Grey's Anatomy, you always hear contact UNOS about the organ donation. Yes, yes. I think it's hospital specific, maybe. I don't know exactly how all the logistics works because, again, it's a very complicated process, but... I think that certain hospitals do use UNOS, and that's why we hear it so much in Grey's Anatomy. That makes sense. There's definitely a lot of different organizations that are involved in the greater organization. Yes, yes. There are a lot of moving pieces and parts, and both on the donor side and the recipient side, and so it's very important for all these things to come together. Definitely. When organ donation actually happens, like to get from point A to point B, how does this actually happen? And so to kind of go through some simple steps, we're going to do six steps basically. So the first step is to identify a donor. So they could be recently deceased, they could be a living donor, and just basically someone that has healthy organs that you can use for donation. The second big part, and that we see in this episode, is the obtaining consent, either from the patient or from the family. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that have passed away have already been registered as an organ donor, and so there's no more steps that you have to go to or hoops that you have to jump through in order to procure their organs. Then on the other side of things, you can have someone who was not registered for organ donation before they passed away, and then their family can actually be informed and can donate on their loved one's behalf. So... This is what happened in this episode because the patient did not have any known organ donation consents in the past, and so the family was able to donate on their behalf. And this scene was really just chaos. Do you want to oh my talk gosh. a little bit about that? Yes, we can talk about that a little bit because, again, two different sides, like Christina versus Izzy on how they would have handled it. And obviously, mm-hmm. Christina did not do a great job at handling it. I would say this was Christina's big moment of acting out. Basically, this family doesn't tell her what she wants to hear, and she just storms out. Yeah. She's so confused. And to put this in context, Christina is saying, can we use his eyes? Can we use his skin? And if you're a family member hearing that for the first time, not fully understanding what all organ donation entails, you can imagine how jarring and frightening that would be. Of course. It's very traumatic. And I think that surgeons really take for granted even what a surgery means to people. Mm -hmm. This is something that we talked about at some point in med school in realizing that surgery seems like a really routine thing to Mm -hmm. us who are in medicine all the time. And having surgery for somebody who's not in medicine is a really big deal. Like allowing somebody to literally cut them open. That's terrifying. Exactly. And when it comes to organ donation in this point, Christina's basically asking, can we take all your husband's organs? Can we take his eyeballs? Can we take the skin off of his body? Mm -hmm. And while from her perspective, this is fairly routine and it's going to save lives and it's going to be so great. When you say that to somebody, that's 
horrifying. Horrifying. And the fact that her daughter's there with her, too. and there's That really got girl. me. I was like, there's a small child in this room. Yeah. And I think a really important thing to touch on, too, is you see it later in the episode when they finish doing the, the organ procurement is that Izzy stays behind to sew him up and to make sure mm-hmm. that he looks good for his funeral. And so, mm-hmm. and then Christina does as well, which is what the wife was worried about. She says, right. you want me to have a funeral and him not have any skin? What are you talking about? And so, right. again, I think just very jarring and something that Christina did not keep in mind when she was talking to this family. And so yeah. she storms out. Bailey follows her and says, what are you, what are you doing? You can't do that. You, you can't just leave the family in there. What are you doing? And Christina goes, I can't do that. I can't talk to the families of patients. <laughs> like, Christina, did you go to medical school? Isn't this what the whole point of being a doctor is? Okay, and I will say, I, I know that medicine in the last 20 years has moved very towards this idea of patient-centered care mm-hmm. and communication and focusing on these things in a way that wasn't always true. And I think especially in surgery, there are these doctors who are thinking, my job is to cut, my job yeah. is not to talk to people. But this was so inappropriate, the yeah. way this yeah. family is going through so much, and Christina just walks out yeah because the last thing that you want when you're talking to a doctor about possibly doing organ donation for your loved one is for that doctor to be cold and callous and hardened Mm -mm. you want them to be understanding of the situation that you're going through and christina was not that person and so bailey sees this and goes you need to keep in mind that he is a person he's not a collection of body parts for you to harvest and Mm -hmm. i thought that quote really resonated with me because that is what you have to keep at the forefront of your mind when you're talking to a family about this is that this is not just someone that walked into the emergency room and now they're here and you can have their organs, again, to save lives, but still, they were a yeah. person before they came in here, they had a family, and you need to keep that in mind. Yeah, and I think that this is a really nice callback, too, to something we talked about in our first episode when we discussed the fact that people will often refer to their patients, partially because of HIPAA and partially because of you know, this is just what they say Mm -hmm. in referring to their patients as their condition. And Bailey actually says to Christina, this is not just gorked guy. This is Mm -hmm. not just brain dead guy. This is a person with a family and blah, blah, blah. She says, what's his name? And Christina has to tell her his name. And yeah, it's all very personal. Yeah. And I think that it is, it is kind of a callback to that. And just remembering that as a doctor, your focus may be the disease, but a person is more than the sum of their medical problems. Exactly, exactly. So I think that was a really important ethical dilemma to touch on in this case. I also just wanted to say really quickly in this mm. scene that it like reminded me of how much I just adore Miranda Bailey. Mm-hmm. Because you see her, mind you, she is also <laughs> quite unhinged in this episode. Just a little. And so far in this show, we've seen a lot of her being really hardened Mm -hmm. and really sassy and really set in her ways yeah and this is I think is one of the first moments where we see her just like being very human yeah and very kind and after she kind of has this talk with Christina and Christina's starting to turn around and walk back Bailey looks at her and she just kind of shakes her head and she says no one said that this is easy what's his name who the patient what's his name Kevin Davidson. Remember that. Not gorked guy, not John Doe. Kevin Davidson. He's someone's husband, someone's son. Not a collection of body parts for you to harvest. A person. No one said this was easy. It just was this moment that was so heartfelt. I know. And 
Bailey kind of seeing what Christina was processing mm-hmm. and realizing that this is a really hard part of her job. Yeah. And being a really good mentor to Christina in that moment. Yeah, I love even that. Even when she was being tough. I just, I loved that. Yes, yes. Oh, we love Bailey too. <laughs> I know, I know. Okay, right. so do you want to tell us more then about... Yeah, so for the steps, all the logistics. So step, oh, yes. step four is actually coordinating the transplant. So this is kind of where the, the logistics come into play. Because as you can imagine, there are people wanting to donate organs and there are people wanting to receive organs. And so... There's a whole database of people who are both wanting to donate and both wanting to receive organs, and you have to match them up, and you have to figure out, you know, time, place. There's so many things to take into consideration when you're actually doing organ donation, and so this is where logistics come in. You have to make sure that you're actually going to be harvesting an organ that will later be used for transplantation. So this kind of brings us to our next step of recovering the organs. And so this is usually done by a a specialized surgical team. They recover organs from the patients in a respectful, formal procedure. And one thing that Mm -hmm. I actually saw that was a quick catch from this episode that I wanted to talk about here because it fit is that when they were harvesting Kevin's organs, the the brain dead patient, the last Mm -hmm. organ that Burke removed was the heart. And mm-hmm. typically, the thoracic organs, which are the heart and the lungs, are removed first. The heart, oh, that's interesting, because its viability, so its its ability to live outside of the body or be viable outside of the body, is much shorter than other organs, and so it is usually transported the quickest to a recipient. And so I thought that that was really interesting. Oh. You see him do everything else and then take the heart out at the end. That is very interesting. So, okay, this is me asking a genuine question that I do not know the answer to, mm-hmm. but. If you take the heart out first, does that put the other organs at risk in terms of perfusion? I don't know. That was That's what I was confused about because that's what I was thinking too. But it sounds like from what I was reading, I was reading studies and things and they always do the heart first. Interesting. So I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I'm learning something too today. There you go. <laughs> and then the last wow. step is obviously transplanting the organs. So this is surgically implanting into the patient or the recipient, which is what we see with Mackie. And we'll talk about him in a little bit too. Yeah, And so just to kind of end this organ donation talk before we talk about Mackie and kind of the ethical side of things is what organ donation can actually accomplish. It can be really hard to put into perspective because these patients obviously are going through a lot. Their family is going through a lot with donating organs. But at the end of the day, it's super important to think about kind of the long-term benefits and downstream effects that organ donation can have on other people's lives. And I think that was... I feel like it wasn't as hammered home in this episode as it could have been because Mm -hmm. I think that that would have put the mom and the daughter at much more ease of saying, you know, this is going to save this many lives and it's going to do this and it's going to do that because it does. Absolutely. I think it does bring the family a little bit of peace in a moment where they think that everything else is going wrong. Yeah. To be able to see how their loved one helps other people. Yeah. And so I wanted to touch a little bit on the stats of what an organ donation can actually accomplish. And so every donor, so Kevin, for example, in this episode, can save eight lives and enhance over wow. 75 more. That's a lot. 75? Mm-hmm. Because there's so many things, right? Like you can take skin, you can take eyes, you yeah. can take 
like finger I mean there's so many things that you can yeah no I mean it makes sense mm-hmm. it's just amazing to think about it is it is and so yeah the, the impact is huge and in 2022 there were actually over 42,000 transplants performed wow which is just crazy to think about and so if you guys are interested in organ donation there's the organ donor website so it's organdonor.gov where you can find out more information and I highly suggest you go and kind of look at the website see what you think and again yeah. ask us any questions if you have any Consider being an organ donor if you're not already. Yeah, definitely. Can save a lot of lives. Yes. All right. So should we talk about Mackie, who's this VIP patient who needed the liver transplant? Oh, yeah. So VIP patients, this is the first time it's kind of brought up in this series, but we see it time and again with other episodes. And so VIP patients, this is a real thing in the hospital. I've seen it. It is a real thing. It is very interesting. Yeah. It usually entails some kind of special treatment or special services that you provide for patients with either status, wealth, influence. They could be donors for the hospital. They could be sponsorships of something. They could be a personal friend. Famous like people. Like in this case, they could be a celebrity. And so it, it is just kind of crazy to think about because as I haven't seen it personally, but I've heard lots of stories about it. And I just thought it was super interesting to see it portrayed in the show, especially amidst all this organ donation process <laughs> that was happening. Yeah. For sure. And I have mixed opinions about it. And Mm -hmm. there are definitely places where there need to be certain precautions in place for certain patients. Like if there is a patient who is a celebrity or needs certain privacies, like sometimes there are certain precautions that have to be taken. Mm -hmm. But it also is, you know, ethically questionable to give any one patient more priority than another. Yeah, exactly. And so one of one of the priorities, again, this was a small thing, but the smoking, the patient goes, yeah. oh, I'm going to smoke in here. And George comes in and goes, what the heck? You can't smoke in here. This is the hospital. <laughs> and this is funny. George takes the cigarette out of his hand and he doesn't know what to do with it. He does He's it. like, try to throw it in the sink. He's trying to, he opens the garbage. He opens the sink. He turns on the sink. <laughs> he just doesn't know what to do. So funny. And I just thought this was so relatable for me because I have experience with a past patient who was unfortunately dying of of colon cancer and was going to go to hospice, which is basically care for end of life. And the only thing that he wanted in this entire world while he was in the hospital, one, was to smoke. And then when he went to hospice care, so when he went to a nursing home or whatever organization or facility he was going to go to, is that he just wanted to smoke. And that was the only thing he would talk about. He said, I want to smoke. I want to smoke. I said, I can get you some nicotine patches. I can get you some nicotine gum. He's like, no, I just want to smoke. And so it resonated really well with me because I had personal experience with patients like that. And they are dead set on continuing to smoke. And if you think about how many people smoke in the world... And how many people are in the hospitals? Like, there's a good amount of people who we give nicotine patches to in the hospital because, again, you can't be smoking in the hospital. So, Yeah, but it is an interesting kind of ethical discussion, too, in what you allow these patients to do. Obviously, for safety reasons, you can't be, like, lighting a cigarette in the hospital. But when you get to a certain point, to a certain extent, I really sympathize with patients who are saying, I have this diagnosis. I have this long to live. Mm -hmm. Stopping smoking at this point might prolong my life a little bit, but in the end, my cancer is going to kill me. And what makes me happy in my final however long I have left to live is smoking. To a certain extent, it's hard for me to not be like, okay, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it's also, I, I totally get that point. 
But then I'm like, you can't be in the hospital if you want to. Do oh, that. not in you the have hospital. To no, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> but, but I thought that was super interesting. So that's a little touch on the VIP patients. What yeah. other ethical things did you want to talk about? I think the the biggest one is Viper, this bite guy that comes. Yes, in. there's so much to unpack here, guys. There's so much. So we have Viper coming into the ED. He has. Do you have any idea what actually was in his abdomen? I he had some it, kind of spiky thing. I think it was bike spokes, like wheel spokes Ooh, from his okay. bicycle. And Alex and Meredith are like, oh, my gosh, let's go. This guy looks great. This trauma looks awesome. Let's go see it. Um, well, yes. And the first thing they do is start fighting over who's going to get to take care of him. And they are literally fighting over him. This man sitting with spikes in his abdomen. And he goes, can I help you? Like, I'm right here, you know. Literally, they, like, close the curtain as if that means that he can't hear them, even yeah. though they're standing literally two feet in front of him as they fight over who's going to be his doctor. And then he pulls it open. He's like, hello? Oh, gosh. Um, so that's our first, that's the first you know, thing. ethical thing. What's the second thing that it made me shrink into myself <laughs> when I saw this happen, what Alex did? Alex yanking the spokes out of him with oh. no further evaluation? Is this what you're referring to? Meredith, yes. Meredith goes, oh, we need to get <laughs> imaging and we need to do this and that. And Alex goes, mm, they're super The proper things to do. them out. And again, Viper, the patient is like, you know, I'm, I want to get back to my race, so I don't care what, <laughs> what you do. But I could not believe it. And then Alex just leaves. Literally insane. He's like, okay. Insane. <laughs> and and Viper refers to him as the frat boy. The I'm frat like, boy. honestly, I mean, Which I yeah. thought was very accurate. So. Yeah, I would agree. I think another thing that goes along with the, the medical side of thing with Viper is the fact that he said, I don't want any further evaluation. Just sew me up so that I can get back to my race. And Meredith made him sign papers that were AMA or against medical advice. And so basically he had to sign a waiver saying, I know I'm leaving against medical advice and that there still might be something wrong with me. And so this is basically a document that covers your bases. So if the patient comes back and they're hurt later or you did something wrong, that it's not your fault because they signed the AMA paperwork. Well, right. Basically saying we want to do more workup that you're not letting us do. And if anything happens to you, which as we later see, mm -hmm. something does happen to him, that is not out of lack of trying. Yeah, exactly. So then we see Viper coming back at the end of the episode. Actually, this is another little quick catch that I got that I thought was bizarre. So after Alex pulls the spokes out of him, Meredith sews him up, which as far as I was aware, was there were probably some little incisions from each of the spokes that she probably had to put a couple sutures into. When Viper comes back to the hospital and, you know, we see him starting to spit up blood and falling over and doing really not well, Meredith pulls up his shirt and shows the incision. And he has one incision that is basically splitting open. He has contents of his abdomen herniating out. And then there's also another incision parallel to that that looks still closed. And they're both these vertical incisions down his abdomen. And I'm just wondering where on earth they came from like, and they were really big and long i'm guessing that his incisions or the cuts that he got from the spokes were teeny tiny so i don't really know what she was sewing she probably had to close the holes individually but there were literally long lines of like these long incisions sure. and yeah. <laughs> i just thought it was funny and we know that he left ama so nobody else was performing medical procedures on him That's after true. meredith sewed him up so somehow this man just spontaneously got some I don't know, large abdominal incisions. I don't have an explanation for it. Oh my gosh, but, Viper was just a whole enigma, honestly. Because oh then he, 
is all about Meredith saying, oh, you're so cute. Oh, this and that. Oh, oh I can't flirt with you. I'm Sir like, is in love with Meredith. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I think the funniest part was, so Viper does end up kissing Meredith before he leaves because he's like, Which was crazy. It's fine. Derek's face. I couldn't believe it. Oh, my God. <laughs> because Derek was right outside the room. He saw it. Meredith didn't know he was there. And just Derek's face cracked me up. <laughs> he's like, you're kissing patients now? Yes, yes. Oh my god. No, it is crazy. But also so inappropriate too. I mean, frankly, oh my gosh. sexual assault, not to that be dramatic, but also like well. it is. Like like in the same way that you don't just kiss somebody random on the street, you certainly yeah. don't just kiss your doctor. Prize kiss. We love to see it. No. I think you should talk about the Bailey interaction at the end of this episode. Oh my god. This was at the end Viper's in surgery and all of Viper's friends are in the waiting room waiting for him to come out and in fairness they are being kind of loud and rowdy and Bailey comes out and asks are you guys Viper's friends and one of the women say yeah is he okay and Bailey just goes off you could see a switch flip she gives this whole speech about how bad it is that he takes care of himself this way how all of you people don't take care of yourself and she ends with being so no he's not okay and meredith literally has to pull her away meredith is like this is not okay and bailey is the superior here and meredith is the one to be saying you can't talk to people this way Mm -hmm. and i mean bailey also she says stuff to these people things like oh, you guys pierce and tattoo yourselves and do all these things. And I'm like, okay, you can yell at them for smoking. Well, first of all, you really can't yell at them for anything because you're not their doctors. Exactly. Second of all, if you're going to yell at them, you can yell at them for putting people in dangerous situations. None of your business if they're going to get piercings or tattoos. That's just crosses a whole other line when did we start talking about body modifications that's my question bailey goes off so that's why she's the most unhinged of this episode in my opinion <laughs> this this little tantrum that she has i think that's the best way to put it it was a tantrum was absurd and all of this was triggered by somebody asking bailey is he gonna be okay which yes. frankly feels like a perfectly appropriate question to ask yes. the surgeon who is taking care of your friend Exactly. Exactly. Do you have any other things you want to talk about before we get into our end takeaways? No, I think that's it for me. I think this episode was packed full of ethical dilemmas, and I really appreciate you guys following along with both the medical topics and then the ethical situations that went along with them. So let's get into our takeaways for this episode. Let's do it. So I think that truly my biggest takeaway was just how completely unhinged everybody was in this episode. (laughs) Like we said this at the beginning, but you really see everyone acting out with maybe the exception of George. And I loved seeing George interacting with Mackie in this episode. He was so awkward at the beginning. And then by the end, it's so wholesome. Even watching Mackie's asking George about his love life and they're just having this nice little bonding moment. And George is still so awkward, but he's so sweet and he has the best intentions. And in my mind, that's what being a doctor is all about. Like I love those personal connections that you get to form with patients. And I think that George was experiencing that in that moment. Mine wasn't as exciting. So we've talked a lot about in previous episodes, the fact that sometimes the way they portray the team dynamic isn't really accurate. And I thought that in this episode, it was actually very refreshing to see George covering Dr. Weber's patients, which basically means that while he's in the OR, 
George gets to go up to the floor and round on and take care of the pre and post surgical patients that Dr. Weber has on his service. And I think this is honestly the first time that I see something that's truly accurate happen in terms of team dynamics. You're so right. Between that and the mention of the ED residents, clearly there's actually other people in this hospital. Apparently. So I know that wasn't a super catchy one, but it was the most standouting to me. Yes, I love that. And then the one other thing that I just wanted to mention that I loved, and it was kind of a closer of the episode, was at the end, they're all watching Meredith's mom's surgery videos. And they are all sitting on the couch, and they're reacting to the surgery like it's a football game. And I thought it was so funny. Something happens, and they're like, ooh, ah, oh my god. Oh my gosh. They're like covering their eyes, putting their hands up, like reacting like you would to an exciting sports game. Oh, definitely. They were so excited to be watching those videos. And I mean, I think that a lot of people in surgery really do feel that way about it. They see these surgeries and there's nothing more exciting. They're so entertained. (laughs) I love it. Oh my gosh. Well, that is kind of how they finished up their episode. So I think it's a good place for us to wrap up as well. I agree. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast streaming platform and share it with friends. Don't forget to visit our website at mythvsmedpod.com to ask us a question, follow our socials, and subscribe to our email list or make a donation. We appreciate your support and we hope you continue to follow along with us on this journey.